This is Coda Radio, episode 427 for August 16th, 2021. Hello, friends, and welcome in to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by Cloud Guru. You know, Cloud Guru has them cloud playgrounds, Azure, AWS, and Google on their sandboxes and credit card, not yours. So go get certified, get hired, get learning at a cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and joining us like the podcast champion that he is, established in the hot zone, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. What's up, Mr. Fisher? Let me tell you, it is crazy. Uh, so I'm here right now at System 76 as we do the show in Denver. We made it last night around midnight. <laughs> nice. Mike, it was the worst driving of my life. Oof. It was a hurricane. It was like I was driving the RV into a destruction chamber it, the I-76, sections of I-76 are so bad. It's 75 miles per hour. I had to drop it down to 35 miles per hour with my hazards on, crawling in the dark down this highway for an hour as it destroyed my home. It was brutal. It was horrible driving. In fact, I have had awful experiences coming into the Colorado-Denver area every single time, and I think I will never, ever ever do it again in my RV. I'll fly in, but I will never drive in again. It has been horrendous, the trip in here. Now this trip will always be really great trip, except for the drive into Denver was awful. It was awful. I didn't sleep. I, afterwards, I was so traumatized by how bad the drive was, I couldn't sleep. Jeez. <sighs> but let me tell you, it's good to be here. It's good to be here, um, you know, to be at System 76. I've already said hi to a couple of people. I'm parked right up against their entrance. I'm going to, you know, just sneak right in and grab us a couple more launches. No big deal. It's going to be great. <laughs> How are you doing? I am good. Now, now I didn't tell you this off the air because I kind of forgot. <laughs> so remember how I had my son's school schedule? Mm. What I did not pay attention to was Monday, they get out an hour early. Oh my gosh. So I'm going to apologize in advance if anybody hears, I don't know, mario or various other <laughs> nintendo switch games behind me sure i yes i had the baseball slide into getting him and have you carline that didn't exist when i was a kid but it's a goddamn nightmare yep the queuing up and it takes forever and you're just stuck you're just stuck until it's done oh yeah no fun you know what was fun though is i was reading the uh, netscape.com homepage. just i don't know it like just bubbled up online as one does. You know, you can download Netscape Communicator 401 for Macintosh and Windows, and you can get Communicator Preview Release 6 for Unix. <laughs> yeah, wow. Reading the old Netscape.com, I'll put a link in the show notes. You guys should go check this out. It's like a whole other era where Netscape, your guide to navigating the net, and they've got like a, a sailing boat that's sailing across the digital internet. It's it's really quaint. It, it's a totally different time. Oh, yeah, because it was, it, it was like the web, but it was like an ocean, too, right? But sometimes it was a highway, like a superhighway. The information superhighway, and sometimes it was an ocean, you know? <laughs> we were just trying to wrap our heads around it. I don't know. Something just made me smile looking at that. You know, I thought we would get a just a metric ton of feedback about the Apple scanning uh, your phone pictures for child porn, and we didn't get a single email about it. How weird is that? I think they don't want us to talk about Apple. Well, that might be true. That might be true. 
They have an M1 Envy. Could be, or it's the exact opposite. They've all switched. They've got iPhones and they've made their choice and now they don't want to have to think about it too much. <laughs> or maybe everybody's actually okay with it. And it's just, it's just us that are like, wait a minute, this seems like a pretty slippery slope here. I think Apple did say that um, they are, uh, are going to change the program so that way it's not just the database run by the FBI, but it'll have to be hashes that are added by multiple countries at the same time or some, something like that. Mm, somebody mentioned something about Beijing before. Yeah, I've decided Macs just are horrible workstations. The, the, today's experience, so I, I decided to bring a Mac with me on the trip just to you know give it a swing, and it's the best performing machine I have with the largest screen. And so I brought it to do the remote broadcasts, and it it has been so frustrating because of the the built in stuff that it just does in the background, and I have no control over it. One is like photo analysis of like detecting faces that I take with my iPhone. But the other thing that's actually killing me right now as we speak is this damn NSURL session D, man. This thing is taking two megs to four megabytes a second, megabytes a second of bandwidth down. And I'm on a really limited LTE connection because the System76 building is actually blocking one of my cellular providers. <laughs> so like I've got like no bandwidth to spare. And this damn Mac... This damn Mac, it doesn't matter how many times I kill NSURL session D, I turned off iCloud Drive, I turned off all iCloud stuff, it doesn't matter what I do, I cannot get NSURL session D to stop taking every absolute available bit of bandwidth that I have. I'm looking at my, at my bandwidth transfer chart right now, and it's redlined. It is redlined the entire time, and I have like 60 kilobits left over for the conversation you and I are having right now, and everything else everything else is being allocated to this NSURL session D. And sometimes I see just background processes taking 200% of CPU core. I have no idea what they're doing. There's no way for me to prevent it because if I, if I kill the process, launch D just restarts it. This is a joke workstation. The fact that I have no control and here I am trying to do a live stream, trying to do my job and the Mac is doing God knows what. I can't even tell what it is. I used Activity Monitor to check the open files, and it doesn't give me any indication of what it's actually doing. So um, there could be that, too. Anyways, I just think it's a joke, and if anybody knows how to fix that, let me know. You don't fix it. You just you get more bandwidth. Uncle Tim needs his cut. Yeah, that's true, right? you gotta have you got to have those services staying in sync. Hans writes in. He says, hey, guys. Love the show. Keep on going. You recently touched on a blog post about GNOME's apparent delusional future. And, well, honestly, I couldn't agree more with your analysis. I am a huge fan of the Linux desktop, and because of that, I like the choice it offers. What I wonder is what you would recommend as a replacement for GNOME right now. I'm currently on XFCE and actually been thinking about going back to GNOME, but that doesn't seem like a viable option anymore. Is KDE really worth it? I never gave it much of a chance because it always kind of looked too similar to Windows to me. What about Cinnamon, Mate, or Budgie? be really curious to hear your thoughts on other desktop alternatives. And I just want to say thank you to Hans for writing in to give me a chance to once again, talk about plasma on the show so I can slowly chip away at Mike and eventually one day get him to try it. I just recommend plasma whole straight up and yes, default, it will look like windows, but that's actually clever. I think because a lot of people can map their experiences with traditional desktop paradigms onto that plasma setup. But the thing you'll learn about Plasma, to almost to a fault, is it is, it is extremely customizable. And you can make it look like Unity 7 if you want. You can make it look like XFCE if you want. And it's it's modularized, so it's, you can have components of it that will fail, that don't take down the entire desktop stack. Their Wayland support is coming along really well. 
And the performance is now, I would, I would bet you, although I don't, I can't, I can't guarantee it, but I would bet you there's a good chance it'll use less resources than XFCE does on your box. It's really, really light these days. Did I convince you? No. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, Sean writes in, Hey guys, I've been a software engineer for about 11 years now, and I've now transitioned into a manager. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, he's happy about it. So we'll, we'll go with that. He says, I work for a large company. And while I know how to be a good developer, I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on what makes a good manager of developers. It's my first time as a manager and I'm going to have to be in charge of a large group in multiple countries. I've read a lot of articles and posts, but I would appreciate to hear your collective perspectives on this. Keep up the great work, Sean. Do you have any tips maybe you've derived from having bad managers that you would pass on to Sean? Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of management myself these days and uh, I it's tough. Because ultimately it comes down to when's this going to be done? What's the estimate? The estimate's always wrong. Like I feel like the manager problems, at least the way I do things, have always been on both sides. The developer problem of like estimation. But with an extra layer of being removed from the situation. So I even less visibility into the problem. I can give you one real case. Mm, okay. When I was very, very young, I had a manager who used to literally, his move was to count people's commits. Oh, yeah. That's like a, another version of butts and seats almost. Yeah, it was really weird. And like lines of code, it was really, that company did not last. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I mean, I struggle with this myself, to, to be honest, because there's always the let the coders just code and be happy. And then there's the, well, you need process. And I'm constantly adjusting between more process or less process, right? Like at one point, we're super deep into to, uh, uh, Jira, Lassie and Jira. And then that just became heavy. And right now we're kind of basically working in Trello. But already I'm starting to see things that I'm, I'm kind of missing from what I want in Trello. Right, because the manager's job is ultimately to talk to the stakeholders. <gasps> Sorry, said stakeholders, except to vomit. Ooh, yeah. And be like the middleman between the stakeholders and developers and make sure you know, that expectations that are being set make sense and that they're met. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also that things the, the stakeholders are asking for are actually developable, right? That isn't like, you know, build me a pony. <laughs> I actually think accountability and expectations was the area I was going to hit on. So I think I totally agree with you. It's as a manager, I think you need to find a way to hold people accountable and also make expectations clear all the time, like focus on, accountability and expectations, but accountability is a tricky one because you don't want to be a, you know, a dictator. You want to, you want to be the type of manager that can suss out when performance is lacking because somebody isn't trained up or doesn't know how to do something versus somebody is just being lazy and taking you from a ride. And you kind of have to, you have to have a different manager's hat for different situations in that regard. So keep flexibility in mind when holding people accountable. But if you don't, if you don't build that muscle, it will become harder and harder over time and you will build a culture of unaccountability. And that is going to spell disaster. Like Mike was just saying, you'll hear guys come up with uh, systems that are just ridiculous to try to, you know, hold people accountable. Like <laughs> 
counting lines of code or commits. And, you know, that that's obviously not going to work, but you could probably guess what that person was trying to get at. Right. They were they were trying to come up with some sort of process and system to hold people accountable. It's universal. And, yeah, you can do that to some degree with project boards and and sprints that have specific tasks and goals and key results. But I think the reality is a manager is always kind of being flexible and wears a slightly different manager hat for each person they work with. And that's why large teams can be very hard, very, very hard. And why you will need people who work with you to help message, to help check in. You cannot do it all yourself in a worldwide large team in different time zones. There's a lot you can do. You could also consider, uh, I hear something that's working really well for people that are managing groups in different time zones is moving your meetings to a more async style meeting where perhaps you're posting video updates to a channel. And instead of everybody sitting in a meeting or a standup because the time zone situation is so difficult, you come up with more interesting, clever ways to still have high touch communication, but in a way that doesn't bog people down with meetings. And as a manager, it's your opportunity to kind of come up with clever solutions for that. So focus on accountability with flexibility. Focus on making sure that your communication strategy is clear and that you have a way to manage that many people and keep them all in sync across different time zones, perhaps async async meeting styles instead of everybody getting on a Zoom call. You do individual updates and that kind of stuff. And I think if you think in those terms, you're probably going to do all right. You're probably going to do better than most developer managers. And also, I'll just say this, too, is like listen to your people. If, uh, you know, they're pushing something or if they think there's a direction that project needs to go in, at least listen to them and have that conversation, Sean, because perhaps they know more about a particular thing than you do. Because although you sound like you are a good developer, you've been doing it for 11 years, as time goes on, you're going to be removed from the day-to-day inter just like problems that the developers are solving. You're going to be, as time goes on, more and more removed from that just naturally by not doing it. And there will be a point where perhaps you need to catch yourself and say, you know, I, I do know a lot about this, but maybe this individual, maybe she knows more about it and I need to listen to her. And you got to be that kind of manager as well. Not an easy job. Turns out it's a lot more work doing the management stuff or it's a different kind of work too, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. And that listening to other folks and, but also again, you can't listen to everybody, right? If you have a team of like five or six, you're going to have conflicting opinions and you have to find a way to resolve those, particularly about like dumb stuff like linters. Ugh. It's always the dumb stuff. It's, it's always, always the, the dumb, dumb stuff. stuff, right? Whereas you could just get two people who are... Colors. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. It's, you can tell we both dealt a lot with that. And that's where everybody always has the most input. And so it's super frustrating because you just get bogged down in the nuance of stuff that doesn't matter. And it's just excruciating. And so you got to navigate that as a manager as well. Have fun, Sean. <laughs> it's going to be a blast. Good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, hey, you know what? I just want to mention super quick, uh, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. It's this week. It's Friday, the 20th in Denver at Pindustry. We are asking that you just kind of start trickling in after four o'clock at Pindustry. You'll find us there. Linode's going to be there. We're going to be giving away Raspberry Pis. They're going to be giving away a bunch of Linode credit and other stuff. Um, some friends from Linode will be there as well. Some friends from System76 will be there. The, a lot of the JB crew, but not all of the JB crew will be there. And we always get a lot of coder love at these meetups. So if you're a coder radio listener, you are 100% invited to Pindustry this Friday in Denver at 4 p.m. local time or start trickling in after that. It's, this is it. This is the big meetup, the one that we've been on the road for. And it's almost here. It's, it's very exciting. And we'd love to see it.
Linode.com slash coder. Yep, that's right. Linode sponsors this here podcast, and we enthusiastically use Linode for all of our hosting needs. You know, I've built everything on Linode over the last couple of years, and I have legitimately experienced like all the different options out there for hosting. I have tried all kinds of things, but what I like about Linode is the fundamentals. They have really good performance, they have a really good interface, they have a really clear, easy to understand API. And on top of that, they also have a dashboard that's, you know, that's great. Like their interface is great. But they have 11 data centers worldwide. And the connections between those data centers is super fast. So if you need multiple spots, you're covered there. And then Linode itself, as a company, their fundamentals check out as well. They are the largest independent cloud provider in the world, full stop. Right there. Right? They're independently owned. They're not backed by a VC that has some gold to dump on the market and then completely take over the space and jack the prices up. They've been doing this for 18 years, iterating on it, getting it better and better and better. And now they have millions of customers. Well, at least at least a million. I actually haven't checked. <laughs> I think it's around a million customers and businesses around the globe. I mean, think about that. An independent company that started in cloud computing years before AWS was even, uh, you know, a glimmer in Bezos's eye. And Linode has remained focused on providing great hosting since then. They make cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible to all. 30 to 50% cheaper than the major cloud providers while being fast. And it's not just me saying that, although I've personally experienced how fast they are. They've actually been reviewed and tested against the other cloud providers. One of Linode's edges is they're using brand new AMD Epic processors in their dedicated CPU rigs. They're using crazy fast SSDs and they are their own ISP. So it's like every part in the stack has been optimized and it all comes together to give Linode a performance edge. I love their S3 compatible object storage. Have you ever looked into how much software actually supports S3 storage? and how much backup software, and how you can do configuration management and all kinds of stuff with object storage. Well, they've got it in spades. I use it for my NextCloud instance. I use it for all kinds of backend file sharing. It's great. They have cloud firewalls, VLAN support, a powerful DNS manager, and one-click application deployments. If that's more your thing, if you're not so much of a DIYer, they can cover you there too with their one-click deployments. So there's an open source product called Minio that I've been using for years. It basically is, um, if you know Doku, right, is an open source implementation of the Heroku API. Minio started out as an open source implementation of the S3 API. Now they have a whole ML thing, but they still they still support the old, yeah, not, they, they maintain it. But they have two sides to their business now. Originally it was just a, a FOSS project. Now there's like some, I don't know what they're doing with the commercial side. But for example, if you import, this is my real world case, the Ruby S3 gem, but you want to self-host your files, you just target the endpoint to your local server running Minio. And from that point on, you don't ever have to think about, and that server could be a Linode VPN, right? You don't ever have to think about that it's Minio. You just use all the S3 classes, all the S3 utilities in the S3 gem. Goes the same for the pip package in Python and the Java jar and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, that's a great project too. It's interesting too to see them try to make it profitable. And of course, Linode has been supporting the Linux community and this here program, making Coda Radio possible and Jupiter Broadcasting's meetup as well. They're really, they're, their commitment to the community genuinely does run deep. It's pretty great. And they're also dedicated to offering the best in virtualized cloud computing, which probably matters a lot to you. If it runs on Linux, it's going to run great on Linode. So sign up today, get $100 in 60-day credit on your new account, and you support this show. Make it possible for us to keep giving away free independent content. That's linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 and support the show. Linode.com slash coder. All right, I'm attempting to kill processes. Wes Payne has sent me several uh, launch 
CTL commands to attempt to stop this NSURL session. It's still going like crazy, though. Just crack open, open some PLS files <laughs> and, and just go to town. You know, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm a little disappointed because we've been getting all these emails. We're like, oh, Mac's a great workstation, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'll give it a go. The listeners seem to sure like it an awful lot. Maybe I, and here I am, and I am just, I've thrown everything I can at this. Currently, 3.9 megabytes a second. On an LTE connection behind a building, it's just so frustrating. But let's talk about the stacked overflow developer survey because it's kind of become a tradition on this show. Yes. How about this one? Of course, I had to start with this one. They surveyed the respondents for operating systems. And you guys probably know this, but just as a recap, Stack Overflow does this every year. They say this year they observed a significant evolution in the way developers are educating themselves. They say the younger coders are using online resources like videos and blogs. In fact, they are more popular using videos and blogs is more popular than school and books combined now in younger developers. However, older developers, however, that's defined more than 50 percent of them indicate they still uh, or sorry, a lot of them indicate that they are still just using good old traditional books and traditional ways of learning. Yep. 50 percent of the people that responded said they were new. To coding less than a decade and 35% have less than five years in the trade. 35% have less than five years. A lot of new people. And um, all respondents, when they were asked, said Windows was the top OS at 45%. Linux, number two, at 25.32. And Mac OS, number three, at 25.19. And then WSL, at 3.29%. Interesting that WSL is broken out. 3.29% for WSL. And then BSD is at, is at 0.18%. 0. 0.18 for BSD. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's sad. When you flip the survey over, though, to professional developers, so not just all respondents, but those who identify as a professional developer. I don't even know what that means, but... Who knows? Windows is still in the lead. Mac OS now comes in at second, so it now has replaced Linux when you just focus on developers with a 30% indication. And then Linux comes in now at third at 25%, WSL 3, and BSD remains at, <laughs> well, it's slightly better at 0.14% of people said they use BSD. When I saw this, my thinking was the people who are professional developers are more likely to be like the full-time, you know, like like me or, you know, just like people who do it as their day job, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that Apple like joint venture stuff and the business support stuff, it's probably kind of a lot of places it's like you can get the Dell or you can get the MacBook, right? With, in terms of the corporate IT, you know, your standard issue. That could be. If you were looking to at this survey uh, for programming and scripting and markup languages, I don't know, this might've hurt you because Objective-C is damn near bottom of the list of ones people love. 73% of respondents said they dreaded using Objective-C. Mm, and 100% of those people have bad taste. <laughs> uh, C++ is smack dab in the middle. 50% love it, 50% hate it. <laughs> Java leans a little bit more towards the hate side. <laughs> well, hmm, yeah. Can you guess what's at the top of the list that people just love by a huge margin? I didn't do my homework. Is it Rust? How did you guess? That's right. Well, it was either Rust or Python. So, People love Rust. I, I just... They love Rust. They really do. They just love it so much. They love a compiler that kicks you squarely in the balls. Um, and Wes Payne will be happy to see that Closure comes in at number two. 
So, oh dear Lord, I'm, I thank God we're not doing those challenges anymore. Now, this is also not just programming languages, right? So TypeScript's on here. Uh, so yeah, you know, I mean, well, TypeScript counts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of it's a toy language. Let's be honest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just feel like now I'm trying to get people to email it. <laughs> You know, because if they don't write in, I'm like, all right, fine. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to poke you in the side until you write into the show. (laughs) Uh, AWS was uh, the number one loved platform, followed by Google. Um, Actually, Google ties it up pretty much with Azure and DigitalOcean. Heroku's on there. Oracle's on there. Look at all that. Wow, man. A lot of stuff in there. But there you have it. That's the new uh, that's the new developer survey. I guess I was a little surprised to see Linux as high as it was. In a way, especially on the on the all people respondents, on the all respondents, Linux beat the Mac. Well, this, this has been the trend for a couple of years now, though, right? Where Linux has been gaining share. It just feels like if you if you look at the emails we've gotten after the M1 announcement, it felt like that that trend was going to start sliding the other direction. I would like to see this and, and even the emails we get broken down by age. Yeah, because I have a feeling your theory from last week is right, that people who, you know, become moms or dads at a certain age just like run out of patience with some of the more finicky Linuxy stuff mm-hmm. and end up on the Mac. Having said that, most of my guys use Pop! OS still and it's fine. In fact, I just ordered someone a gazelle. Oh, nice. Do you want me to walk in there and grab it for you? I'm right here. He, it shipped. I was going to ask you to <laughs> okay. actually. It already shipped though. <laughs> I'll grab you another launch instead. Uh, yeah, I, there is that. Um, I've definitely gotten that. So we've done the Salt Lake City meetup and we've had four micro meetups where it's just like a small group of people. And universally, uh, it's like people are are shifting some opinion on this. Uh, not everybody's like switched or anything like that, but there's definitely some opinions that are shifting. And it does seem to be not to not to like put too fine of a point on it, but kind of seems like it's people that are near or at their or over their 40s they've got some kids they've they've been working for a little while um you know a 1300 laptop isn't going to make or break them and um they kind of just throw their hands up and that's definitely been not not a hundred percent but it's been really common to see that on on this on this road trip for better or for worse um not everybody though you know it's so it's been a range of people that i've, I've talked to and I'm kind of like I'm coming to, coming up with a series of questions I'm asking people as the as these meetups go on to kind of get the information out of like, well, what went wrong? When did you switch? Why did you do it? You know, I'm just asking. It's really kind of all anecdotal, but I'll probably get 20, 30 responses from people overall by the end of this trip. So I'm starting to change my perspective on it. And, um, you know, the truth of the matter is uh, the way I'm looking at it right now is this Mac seems more finicky. And it seems like more hassle than a Linux box because this Linux box. So before it was downloading, now it is uploading. And I don't know what NSURL session D is uploading, but it's uploading two megs a second, which is about all I have again. And I'm trying to do a live show, right? It's, it's so frustrating. Do you have like a Charles proxy or like a, I think it's like Netcat or something to like, see what exactly it's doing. Well, I did go into Activity Monitor and I opened up the process and I looked at the open files in the process and um, it doesn't really tell me anything. Like I see logs in here. I see analytics.whitelist in here and I see some HTTPS connections from my host to probably some iCloud server, just the IP address. This is why Snow Leopard was better. This is a disqualifier for me. Is it the first time you've used it in a while no, I mean, no, I've used it on, I've been using it on this road trip and, you know, 
So it was just a couple couple days ago. Wait, when did I do LAN? Yesterday. I did LAN yesterday. That's weird. Okay. Yeah. I think it's a disqualifier for me. I think it disqualifies. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to see if I can figure out how to, how if I can tame this NSURL session D beast, then it's not. But having something take up this much bandwidth when you're on the road is, oh boy, I should stop bitching about it. But it's, it's just like so quintessentially like an example of how the Mac is not fully under your control. Bitch away. That's what the advertisers pay for. <laughs> Datadog.com slash Coda Radio. This episode of Coda Radio is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring and security platform for developers, security analysts, and ops teams in the cloud age. You can unify your metrics, your traces, and your logs all in one place. Troubleshoot issues faster and break down silos between your teams. Create real-time, beautiful dashboards for over 450 technologies in just minutes and easily pivot from high-level overview of your environment to a granular visualization of the metrics and events. Datadog offers infrastructure monitoring, APM, security monitoring, real user monitoring, and more all in one place. Are you getting it? It's great. So go get started with their free trial today at datadog.com slash Coda Radio. See why thousands of companies trust Datadog with their monitoring. Also, if you start a free trial and you create one dashboard, Datadog's going to give you a free t-shirt. I don't know about you, but I could always use another t-shirt, especially because I always spill stuff on myself. <laughs> and uh, free t-shirts help with that pain. So go over to datadog.com slash Coda Radio, sign up, create a free trial, create a dashboard, get a t-shirt, support the show, and see how it's so nice to bring everything into one place, communicate across teams, visualize problems faster than ever, and plug it into over 450 different pieces of technology you likely already own. Datadog.com slash Coda Radio. I really liked this tweet by Stephen Trotton-Smith. He's a developer on the Apple platform. He's created some pretty good apps. One that I like a lot is called, uh, I think it's called Broadcast or Broadcaster, and it's just a nice, clean, simple internet radio streaming app for the iPhone that does some smart buffering. And yeah, you might want to check it out. So Stephen Trotton Smith on Twitter said, quote, the Mac is in the best place it has ever been. Fresh off a CPU transition, a new design language, beautiful new hardware with two brand new UI frameworks, universal apps, and a popular new programming language. If that's not enough to convince developers to make native apps, what is? And I thought about it for a second. I thought, damn, I think he's right. Like, are we seeing the last great push for native apps with new hardware, new design, uh, you know, the new design and what are they, is it Big Sur? I can't remember, but whatever the new UI they did. Uh, and of course, Swift getting more popular than ever. They have the two UI frameworks to make it easy if you're already developing for iOS to bring your applications to the Mac. And they're all native. They're all native. Do you think... Apple has lined everything up to actually convince developers to start focusing on native apps and give up th on things like Electron? No, it doesn't make sense. I mean, if you're like a small indie, yeah, I, I, you know, the Mac market's surely big enough to make uh, very beautiful, very kind of polished native applications using Apple's latest frameworks, you know, kind of running on the treadmill, right? We've talked about that for years, more in the context of iOS. Right. And well, and I think to be fair to them, they have lined this up better than Microsoft, which is traditionally very good at this kind of stuff. But when you bring it all together, I think Apple has lined it up better than any other platform. And I could even see that sort of leading the way other platform providers like Google and Microsoft looking at that going, let's start building our own chips. Let's start shoring this up and making this a good experience for native developers. I mean, there's an easy swift dig here, but I'm not going to make it. 
I would have a hard time pitching to someone, to a business, that they should do a native Mac app. I'd even have a hard time pitching they should do a native iOS app. Although on the iPad, now that things are somewhat loosened up, which I think we should talk about more in a couple weeks, there is definitely more opportunity. I, I don't buy it. I, did, I, I mean, I want to buy it. That's why I keep hemming and hawing here. But yeah, the reality is, for most businesses, maintaining native applications is a huge pain in the ass. You're almost better off with a PWA or some sort of web-based solution. Um, you know, whether that be a you know a Flask or a Fast API app returning Jinja, right, the templating engine for Python, or just like straight up Rails with ERB. That way, you have one thing to update, one thing to maintain, and you don't have these problems. And frankly, the PWA capabilities, especially if we're talking about desktop here, where you don't have Apple's crazy restrictions on iOS Safari. Although I did just hit a bug on Safari for Mac, I tweeted about if you can follow me if you want to see my bitching about how Apple decided to not cooperate where every other browser does. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And I'm a guy who used to sell Mac applications, right? So it, like, I want this to be true. I think it is true. I just don't know that, at least in the enterprise space, which is mostly where I live now, it would ever again make sense for me to sell someone a native Mac application as like a custom development job. And after I asked you the question, I started thinking too, like it seems like the mobile industry is just too large. Mobile users are the number one target. Oh yeah, dude on mobile Xcode file new project, right? All day long. Yeah. It's always going to make the desktop kind of like a second class target. I think, I think it's just the size of the desktop market has been eclipsed by a juicier larger market and i think that's just where the native apps are going to be now <laughs> when you have a native app it's going to be in an app store and when you're downloading apps and you're loading them on your pc on your free loading pc with, with no app store or with an app store you're not using it's going to be like a web app <laughs> for a lot of them yeah and i remember like with, with my old app for mac code journal one of the things i was completely unprepared for but ended up being true was people wanting to buy site licenses for it mm-hmm and this is back when the Mac App Store just had come out and did not support anything close to an organization account. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure I am wrong. Obviously, game developers exist. And I, I feel like when we say app, we're not talking about games. But to me, the the kind of, quote, productivity or developer tools software market is really an, uh, an, uh, you know, B2B game, right? An enterprise sales game. Yeah. And like uh, Avith points out in the chat room, most users don't even know when it's not a native app. So that's a factor as well. Um, and I don't know if you've heard about what 1Password just did recently, but they just released 1Password version 8 and the Mac users are revolting because it's now, it's gone from a native app and it is now an Electron app. But then don't worry, it's got a Rust back end. So the Rust back end <laughs> is native, but the user front end is Electron. And some users, you know, they don't care, right? Obviously. But there are a lot of Mac users who are like, well, screw this. You just took away my pretty native app. Well, but that makes a ton of sense, right? Like we're doing C backends with uh, effectively JavaScript front ends. And, you know, for, for one password, and Microsoft is going to go this way with Office eventually too, but with one, with, uh, one password, it means. They now have a Linux version and a Windows version and a Mac version that's all going to be in sync. And it, I guess it doesn't matter that it's going to lose some users. Some users will quit over this, but I bet long term. Well, they're not because where are they going to go? Unless they're using Safari as their browser 
All most of the other password managers aren't very good. I like LastPass, but all right. I I liked Lice. I switched just about you know I don't know a year or two. I can't remember now from LastPass, and I've been really happy with Bitwarden. If uh, if anybody wants to give Bitwarden a try, they've got it's open source, but they do have a premium version if you want to host on their servers and stuff. And I've liked Bitwarden a lot. And so if people are looking for an alternative that you know is reasonable and and seems to have a good team behind it, I, I would recommend Bitwarden. LastPass is not bad too, but they've recently changed to some crazy scheme where you got to pay a certain rate to be able to open up your password database on a desktop or a mobile. And if you don't pay, you can only open it on mobile or you can only open it on a desktop. It depends which one you open it on first. <laughs> like what? Okay. That's not confusing. I don't even want to tell you the stupid thing that I do, but I use iCloud everywhere. Well, I mean, it works. It, you know, it's simple. It's built into the system. Well, and most of the stuff I need those passwords for one, I, I've aggressively moved to 2FA for everything. So that kind of changes how, how you know, I mean, have, you know, the nice thing about having the iCloud password is that it's, uh, you know, it's also then it works with your fingerprint and your face ID stuff. So you can authorize the password filling with your fingerprint. That's nice, actually. Right. Well, the cops can just flash your phone at you. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I want to know why you're getting picked up by the cops and they need your passwords in the first place. What are you doing over there, <laughs> Florida man? I sold them a Mac desktop app about five years ago and it doesn't work and they're mad. So. <laughs> See, full circle. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Hey, I want to say thank you to our QA members, CoderQA at CoderQA.co. You have a Coderly that's been posted for this quarter. Uh, go there to join up. You can get past Coderlies if you haven't yet. But you, it's really about supporting the show. You get a limited ad feed as a thank you. And uh, you get to listen to Mike and I go on about uh, stuff that's sort of like um, higher-level recap stuff in the quarter reports. That's at CoderQA.co. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send people this week? Go uh, at Dumanuko on Twitter, and we have a bunch. We have two job openings at the Mad Bottle right now: a um, junior Python developer and a entry level QA engineer. But uh, we're looking for someone who at least is somewhat familiar with Python. If you can't tell, we do a lot of Python. There you go. And that's uh, where do they find that? I think it's ZipRecruiter slash the Mad Botter Inc. Inc. Okay. There you go. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Chris LAS. The network is at Jupiter Signal. And this here podcast, yes, it does have a Twitter handle, which could be useful for like time changes or announcements, anything like that. That's at Coder Radio Show. And uh, yeah, everything we talked about today and links and all that, that's at coder.show slash 427. You're also going to find our contact form over there, our subscribe link and all that stuff if you want to listen to every episode. You can also join us live we do this here show at 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, what is that? One Eastern? I don't know because I'm traveling, but you can get it all at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We convert it to your local time right there. That's easy. You know, robots. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio program. And we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>